0: Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Money Advantage podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Wayner coming to you today with special guest Mike Stanley. So before I say anything more about this show, I want to welcome everyone to the conversation. If you're joining us live, go ahead and give us a thumbs up in the comments and go ahead and tell us that you're here and what questions you might have or thoughts on the reverse mortgage. So, Bruce, thank you for being with me today for this great conversation
2: yeah this is um this is a topic that I, I hate to use the word controversial because I don't think it's controversial, but I think people have it in their minds that uh, years ago it had some stumbling blocks, and things have changed since then. It reminds me of my grandmother who was born in the early 1900s and I used to ha- she was a school teacher, and I used to have her her book, and in the health section of the books, it talked about how to be healthy. And it said that you should air out your underwear every night and wash it once a week. And it also talked about taking a bath you know, every weekend. And so, so that was what was taught in schools way back then. And now if we would talk about that the same way, people would think we were crazy. All we're asking you to do today is to listen to one of the experts in a reverse mortgage sec- uh, situation and then reach out to your competent financial con- uh, consultant. Or advisor and see if it might fit into your situation. If it doesn't fit into your situation or you don't believe about it or believe in it, then you probably should just turn off this podcast and go somewhere else and <laughs> listen to some music. But please, but just think about how you're thinking about something. And, and if you do, you might open your eyes up to something that has benefited even very affluent people nowadays.
1: Bruce, thank you for that. And so, Mike Stanley, thank you for joining us on the show today and coming back to talk about reverse mortgages and just really give the nuts and bolts and the facts and figures from your tremendous experience in this field. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: So, let's dig into reverse mortgages. And you've heard a little bit of the perspective that Bruce shared up front. We provide education, we provide knowledge, and the insight and the pros and cons and the facts for you to be able to make decisions about what is most important and meaningful to you. There's always going to be costs and benefits to every decision. There's always pros and cons. There's always costs and opportunity costs. If you do something that prohibits you from doing something else. And so in this world of decision-making that we live in, ultimately our goal is to make the best decisions given the situation at hand. And all of us are given a different situation and today what we're going to do is really just unpack what is a re- reverse mortgage, what is the lay of the land in terms of the bigger macroeconomic factors surrounding this idea of using a, a reverse mortgage and then we're going to really just dig into some of the pros and cons and and how it works in terms of what is a reverse mortgage, what can it help you do and what are some things that you would need to think about before doing a reverse mortgage. So Before we dig in too much, um, Bruce, you wanted to talk about just being a fiduciary and and that perspective as we're um, handling people's financial lives. Can you just talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, what's interesting is, um, you know, this this, uh, fiduciary designation, which I am, is you have to pass a test and then basically you have to promise that you're going to keep your your client's best interests in mind. I frankly think that's a little insulting because I think a lot of people that don't have that designation probably keep their client's best interests in mind. But that—that's either here or there. That's what the uh, financial regulatory authority says. That's what the SEC says. So on and so forth. And but even in that, things change. So could you be a fiduciary, a money manager? Fiduciarily, you have to pick what is the appropriate. Investment, But then you have to say to yourself, does that mean that I also should know what the tax bracket they're in? And that's a different type of fiduciary. Or if somebody, if somebody actually prefers to have fixed income in the form of an annuity, it, that would be a different type of, of best interest in mind. And yet it's not covered under the same fiduciary responsibility. So does it mean that you have to talk to people about their trusts or about their medical directives? I think you should, but it doesn't really fall underneath that. Well, here's another thing that is starting to come to the forefront of, if you're not talking to people about the benefits and, and the, the drawbacks of, of a reverse mortgage, then many people think you're not doing what's in their best interest. Example, and I have to give a big disclosure here. I'm not giving advice right now. But there are some people that would say you could actually do a Roth conversion. You can convert your IRA to a Roth. At the time you pay all the taxes, but then don't take any money from other investment accounts. You could actually tap into your home equity through the reverse mortgage just for that year to keep your your taxes low so that you actually then don't pay as many taxes on the Roth conversion. So that's a strategy. If you're not talking to your clients about, then you're, maybe you're not doing what's in their fiduciary best interest because you're, you're protecting their portfolio from one of the biggest eroders of wealth and that are taxes. And all this is legal by the way, it's totally legal. So those are the things we, we have to consider when we're talking about reverse mortgages or just the sum of the things we have to consider. There's all kinds of things.
1: Well, and along that vein, we're not giving advice. We're always bringing education. And ultimately, whatever you are working to accomplish, your set of circumstances, your financial picture, your goals, your objectives, your challenges, those all have to be taken into consideration before any decision would be made about what is the best thing for you. So today we're just talking about reverse mortgages, how they work, and if there's something interesting here today for you, then dig deeper and find out how it might apply to your specific situation. <clears throat> All right, so Mike, you've been on the show before. Tell us just a little bit about your background. I know you are currently the Regional Senior Lending Sale Manager for Thrive Mortgage and you've been in the industry for 27 years. So you've seen a lot in this field of reverse mortgages. Just give us a little bit of backstory and how you came into this position working with reverse mortgage. Well, technically
3: i i've been in the in the mortgage industry for for 27 years i've been in the reverse mortgage industry primarily that's all i do now is for the last 14 years and um, i um, uh, originally from the western part of virginia out in the coal fields, and uh, met my wife there who w- went to college out there and uh, followed her back to the east coast here in virginia beach area and we've been here for uh, Thirty-nine years, actually. Just this past uh, weekend, we celebrated thirty-seven years of marriage. So I'm excited about that. I didn't think I'd live thirty-seven years. I would long be married for thirty-seven years in my in my younger days. But I, uh, when I met my uh, my wife, her her father was a retired Marine, and he uh, was in the insurance business. So. Uh, working as a heavy equipment diesel mechanic your life expectancy was not that great and your body parts kept deteriorating pretty quickly so uh, I looked at the uh, um, at getting into the life insurance and I have been licensed in life annuities uh, health and and uh, insurance planning for since nineteen eighty eight so uh, I like to say I'm old enough that I'm grandfathered in. I don't have to take CE credits anymore. So, to some people, that's a big deal. But uh, again, I got into got into the got into the, uh, got into the insurance industry, uh, doing life insurance. Started doing it for I have a large family, so I started doing it that way, and and just worked my way into the insurance industry, and and uh nineteen ninety I retired from my heavy equipment diesel mechanic Went full time my father law enforcement passed away about that time
1: mm-hmm. and I
3: took over his agency so I have an insurance background um annuity background that kind of thing and and as i was um uh, it probably in the, in 1995 when I got in the mortgage business, I actually got in the mortgage business doing debt consolidation refinances using home equity. So I learned the power of home equity in helping people solve problems, uh, restructure debt. Actually, it's not replacing debt, it's just restructuring. And then at some point in it, uh, in 19, well, in 2008, when the wheels kind of fell off the mortgage industry and other industries, I went to work for a friend of mine. And he said, uh, my to do reverse mortgages. And I just, as most people know, and as Bruce was explaining, most people don't know what a reverse mortgage is other than a myth or a rumor that they've heard. And I said, I'm not taken advantage of old people. I just, I don't need the money that bad. I got I make a good living. And, and once I got into it and started digging into it, 2008, and learned of all the valuable options that are available. Most people don't even understand that you can purchase a home with reverse mortgage. Probably, I would say probably 35% of my business is people downsizing in their later years and and looking to uh, move closer to family members or reduce uh, expenses from houses that no longer meet their needs and things of that nature. So that's how I got into reverse mortgage business. And uh, just a little, Tidbit, uh, it's not been called technically a reverse mortgage since 1988. That's when Congress in 1988 passed a law called Home Equity Conversion Mortgage. You may hear it called a HECM. Uh, But at that point in time, it stopped being a reverse mortgage, but it was such a slang for the the terminology, people still call it a reverse mortgage, even though it's a federally insured FHA loan that has all the protections of FHA and uh, several other benefits.
1: Well, thank you for walking us through that. I think it's always fascinating to hear the backstory and not only that you walked into working with um, home equity conversion mortgages, we'll we'll shorten that to reverse mortgages, but that you walked into that not just because it was a good business move for you, but because you started seeing the power of using them for people. And so we're just going to really unpack that today. Can you kind of start from the perspective of Looking at the the big picture, you talk a lot about where equity is lying specifically for baby boomers, which is really the the people group or the segment of culture right now that this is most interesting and useful for. So can you kind of talk about what is going on financially on a whole within the u s in terms of boomers and their money?
3: Yeah, well, like I said, it's called baby boomers they call us they call it seniors um and one of my jokes at my seminars, I said, since I became a senior, I'd rather be called baby boomer than senior. So that's how I use the baby boomer terminology. But uh, baby boomers are turning 65 at a rate of 10,000 a day for the next 15 to 18 years. If you do the math, that's 3.65 million a year is is qualifying for age 62 or 65 or retirement or whatever whatever retirement age may be now i think social security when i when i started taking social security i had to be 66 in six months and my wife is several years younger than me and she has to work till she's 77 and 67 in so many months before you get full full benefits and bruce we've talked about this before as an alternative to uh, to social security and how when to take it out and when not to, but anyway, uh, baby boomers are considered born between 1946 and 1964. Uh, and, and they're currently age ranges between 55 and 75 and up those who are over boomers. I don't know what they call them, but they're currently about 79 to 80 million right now in the United States with another 3.65 million becoming eligible, uh, every year. A um, couple things of the baby boomer generation. 48% of baby boomers are carrying a or retiring while carrying a mortgage into their retirement years. So they're How trying many, to.
1: What's the percentage 40, you
3: said? 48? 48, 48% are carrying a mortgage into retirement years. Another interesting fact 50% of those 65 or older have their houses paid for and 27% of those will downsize or right size into a home that better meets their retirement needs. So thus there came in 2009 when they made it uh, a reverse mortgage purchase. And uh, I did the first reverse mortgage purchase in the state of Virginia And. August of 2009, had no idea what I was doing. I was just winging it and asking for help and support. But that is a vast market right now these days, because like I said, 27% are going downsize, they're empty nesters, they're moving closer to family and friends, they're reducing overhead, they're saving money by, you know, staying out to save for medical uh, uh, medical needs or things of that nature in their retirement years. 70% 70% of baby boomers are going to need some form of medical assistance during retirement. 6% have long-term care. So when it comes down to it, you got to determine if the spy, if the siblings, if they're, I mean, if their children have, you know, $22 an hour for them to, uh, for assisted support while they're working at home, uh, do they have 30,000 for, for, uh, um, uh, you know, a, a daycare, I mean, not daycare, but $30,000 for uh, assisted living facilities. And it's $94,000 a year for staying in a nursing home. And I kind of asked the children, I say, if you don't like any of those answers, which bedroom is mom and dad moving into in your house? Because we all know the sandwich generation is there. We have the 27, 28-year-old, 30-year-old kids living in the basement while they got mom and dad in a spare bedroom trying to take care of them. And it's massively affecting the retirement of those 45 to 55 years of age.
1: So just kind of looking at that big picture, you're not just talking about the senior themselves. You're also looking at the generational planning, what's happening with their kids and do their children. If if mom and dad, who are boomers, don't have Financial resources, how are the kids going to be handling that? And so you're looking at uh, a timeline of moving new people entering this challenge of figuring out financial needs and specifically income during the later years of their life and figuring out how do we handle that income need most effectively. And if one option is not having $94,000, the kids having that to put mom and dad into a nursing home. Where is the cash going to come from for for these kind of needs? So I like that you're showing what that challenge, those challenges realistically are looking like, especially being in that sandwich generation of taking care of aging parents and also taking care of kids in your home at the same time. Mm -hmm.
3: Well, another another statistics is even though they're even though they're 50 percent have their houses paid for free and clear, those are over 65 there's the same statistics. 50% of baby boomers have saved less than $50,000 other than Social Security for retirement. And the thing about it is, we've got to look at the Gen Xs that are coming along right behind them from 65 through 80. They're, they're, they're turning uh, 45. Uh, they're hitting the 55, six, 55, 57 range, and they're, they're right in that area. Because when I talk to financial planners, sometimes I say, you know, when you talk to a financial planner, you need to ask them. You know, we're putting together a program for you and your family, but what's going? To, what's that going to do to your retirement income if you have to start taking care of mom and dad? And most of them, are, statistics are saying that if they have to start taking care of mom and dad out of their own assets and they're not using it at leveraging the equity that's in the baby boomers' homes to supplement to take care of the kids, their their fat parents while they're in the homes, uh, it's going to push their retirement back even more for between three to seven years. Because they're going to have to use funds that they were planning on putting in, so it's um, it's a unique type market. And uh, and just for those who don't know, there's a there's a non FHA insured uh, product out there, reverse mortgage from private investors. That's not FHA insured, but has all the FHA guidelines, and it starts at age 55, not 62 anymore. So people 55 in specific states can start tapping into the equity and it's 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 designed to work for the mass mass affluent clients and we can lend money at closing on these proprietary products up to four million dollars at closing. So I've done a couple of paid out over a million and a half at closing.
2: Yeah that that was where I wanted to kind of just pivot a little bit because we're we're tr- we're we're kind of going down the road that this is to solve financial situations that People have gotten themselves into that aren't great it's one way to solve it, but it's also strategies for more affluent people Absolutely. also so I so I want to make sure people realize and they don't they don't turn off the podcast and think well i I already have enough money to take care of myself and my parents so um I probably don't need to listen to this, but there are other strategy strategies for the affluent people here so Mike before we go any further, let's just talk about the um the home equity conversion mortgages, the basics of it, like you just mentioned the fifty-five. But what is the basics basics of it from an age, and then the other things to consider to actually do an application to get to get a mortgage, okay. and then we'll go, we'll go down the rabbit hole about okay. you know what happens if you don't stay in the home, and does the spouse get the same benefits and all those things?
3: Well, right right now to be a borrower. The borrower has to be 62 years of age minimum. It is a mortality or equity based loan. The older you are, uh, we take three things into consideration four things into consideration. We take into fact their age, which has a borrower has to be 62 to qualify. Uh, we take in the value of the home and we take in the interest rate on the loan and how much equity we're going to have to leave in the, in the, in the house. To get our interest back one time because we it's it's an it's a it's a teeter totter uh, equity based loan. Uh, we basically, we say if you have 26 years left to live and based on your mortality table or 14 years, uh, that's going to add at a current interest rate of X, uh, then that's going to we're going to leave that need to leave 154,000 equity to get our interest back if you were to live to age 100. And we take everything to the extreme. So they have to be 62 years of age and they have to own it as their primary residence. And uh, if they are a uh, married couple, married couples, only one has to be 62. So if we had a 66-year-old and a 59-year-old, we would base the mortality or the life expectancy on the 59-year-old I and mean, that's how much we would project, how much equity we're gonna leave in the house. So, based on a mortality type situation, uh, the older you are, the less number of years you have to live, the more of the equity we can give you because well, you' accumulate less interest. Uh, the younger you are, we'll give you less of the equity out of your house, which leave more in what we call residual residual equity in the house to um, to get it because we only get paid back one time. You pay back the principal and whatever interest accumulates over x time frame so if it's over 5 years they pass back the interest and the initial loan amount and the house goes to the heirs it is never ours it's okay, well, let's
2: let, let's because this is one of the biggest misconceptions <laughs> out there mike so let's let's just emphasize this again so if the if the heirs well not if when when the house um the contract is over or it needs to be paid back mm-hmm. uh it can be paid back in a variety of ways right the mm-hmm. one of the ways is most common i would think is the house is put up for sale and then the the interest is paid back and then the balance of that goes into the estate yes okay so let's let's just let's just say that again okay so the bank the bank is old interest that's been accruing all these years, mm-hmm. and you sell the home, you pay the interest off, and if there's anything left, it goes back into the estate. Absolutely. No different. No different. If the person would have had a, a regular mortgage, and and the house was sold, and whatever equity was still in the house goes to the estate. There's absolutely no difference None. because you because you had to you had to pay off that mortgage with the sale of the house. I'm, I'm sorry I'm being so second grade elementary on this. Okay. But no, this l- is really l- good because I think it can good, get this really confusing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, this, this, gets really, this gets really, you know, the part that people are just, they want to start some kind of controversy because they, I, Mike, I often say, people often say about things they've heard but not actually experienced, you know, because if you experienced, you wouldn't even talk about it. Mm-hmm. But you want to pass along the bad things because you think you know something about something, mm-hmm. and and this is just isn't t- uh, true. The other thing that could, you could do, Mike, is one of the one of the children, or heck, the next door neighbor, anybody that wanted to, uh, they could actually just take assets themselves and pay the bank off and still retain the house. If they want absolutely, to. yeah. So let, let's let's reiterate that if one of the children want it, wants the house, they don't have to sell it. They could actually just take their own assets. They wanted to keep it in the family, pay off, pay off the bank. Or frankly, I guess, Mike, they could just get a regular mortgage if they wanted Absolutely. to. The Absolutely. they get a regular mortgage, assets, whatever they want, as long as that, that right. is eliminated.
3: Right. And, and
2: then, then it's their house. Now, Mike, one of the other things, let's go over this, because people say this all the time. Yes, but if the house doesn't accrue in value or, or it's underwater, what happens then?
3: Well, there's a unique feature in a reverse mortgage and FHA uh, and and the other products as well. But it's called a non-recourse feature, which means and states that no one is ever responsible for paying the home back personally. Only the equity in the house can ever be used at the time the loan is due. The time the loan is due is when the last of the two borrowers, husband and wife, no longer live in a property as their primary residence or one of them passes away or they sell the house or they refinance the house. Cause you can do with this one, anything you want. It's just a lien against your property that we've leveraged that will, it, we've left enough equity in the house that will leverage it to have enough equity to get our loan back. So with a reverse mortgage, there is the children, uh, a lot of times I'm doing I'm working with one right now, uh, uh, Bruce where a 96 year old just passed away their daughter is 77 and the property is due. Mom took us such a low loan. We're doing a reverse mortgage for the daughter to pay off the mom's reverse mortgage. And the daughter's going to live there with no mortgage payments. So it's it's a standard FHA loan, guys. You have to pay property taxes. You have to pay your homeowner's insurance. You have to keep it in a re- reasonable level condition. And those are all standard FHA Guidelines, nothing unique about a reverse mortgage,
1: so, okay, let's so we, just I was gonna I'm say, sorry, can you just over. walk through some numbers like imagine like, for example, I know that we had one comment on a previous um conversation we had done. What if you purchased a house for cash? You're over sixty two The value of the house is now two hundred twenty five thousand or maybe mm-hmm. you can you can use those numbers or you can work that into a different um a different financial situation as well. You purchased cash. You have a value of the house now. You're over 62. What does that look like? What are your options in terms of taking a reverse mortgage? How much equity might potentially need to be kept in the house of that total value?
3: Well, again, as I mentioned a while ago, interest rates are af- effective because it determines how much equity, how much interest is going to accumulate. Recently, uh, with we all know that the interest rates are going up. The, I mean, I was doing loans for two and three quarters. I did one yesterday for five. And they're five and a half percent. And it's nothing unusual. The first first mortgage I did on in 1986 was on a VA assumption. And I paid 11 and a half to assume an arm. So rates are not ridiculous. It's just different to what they had. But the thing about this, let's use a $300,000 property. $300,000 property near 62 years of age. Based on today's interest rates, we could give them about 45% of the equity in their home. Now, if they are 75 we can give them about 50, maybe 52%. If I'm working on meeting with a couple right here after this meeting, at, they're 94, and we're giving her almost 70% of the equity in the house because they've got less number of years to accumulate interest to be paid back, so we have to leave less and less money there. But they have 62 years of age. They live in as their primary residence. They keep it in livable condition, and uh, they pay taxes and insurance just like they would if they, if when they own a home free and clear. There's no magic no. potion.
2: Yeah, so Mike, let's let's maybe clarify this. So when you say you're going to give them either 45, 50, 55, depending on the age or this, um, equity in their home, are you saying that they are now also not going to have a, a monthly mortgage payment because the equity is going to pay the mortgage payment? And will they also have some access to that equity either in a lump sum or, or in a
3: line of credit? Yeah. There, there's, there's four ways of taking money out of it. It could take the lump sum. Uh, there's two options. There's, there's a fixed rate option, and whatever you take out on a fixed rate is the maximum you get. You, there's no more funds available. On a line of credit, there is, I mean, on an adjustable rate, there is a line of credit uh so let's assume on the 300,000 that they're 75 years of age we've taken out the closing costs which are always rolled in and now they have let's say they have 120,000 uh in a line of credit now they can leave them they can take the 100 they can take 60% up front the first year the second year they get the other 40% after 13 months that's something fha came up with came up with to keep from people taking all the money out up front and, you know, we always hear about the children saying this is a bad option, but the first time mom, they know mom and dad's got $100,000, they kind of get a little closer to mom and dad because they need something for themselves. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I give stuff to my children, to my son all the time. But the thing about it is they put that little safety valve in there and you can only get 60% the first year or up to the amount that it takes to to uh, uh, rectify or pay off their current mortgage. So. If Let's just assume uh, they could take uh, out of 150000 they could take 100000 the first year and they'd have 50000 in a line of credit, and that's available to them the second year. Uh, they could also have just a line of credit and only pay just a closing cost and leave that line of credit in there. Right now, Bruce, which as I talked about interest rates being high, if, if we're charging a client 5% on the, on, the, on the money that they borrowed, like a HELOC at a bank, their line of credit is growing at 5.5%. So we pay a half a percent more on equity, not the appreciation value. Equity. There's nothing on the market that you can get 5.5% on the growth of the equity of your home, income tax free, that's accessible to you anytime in the future, forever, as long as they live in the pro- as long as they live in the product pro- uh, the, the property. Now, they do have two other options. They could take what we call a tenure option, which a tenure is a life expectancy payout. Let's assume that we, we run our numbers and based off their life expectancy, the pool of money that they have, we can, you, um, we can give you $800 a month for as long as you live in the house. Now, we're projected on your life expectancy of 88 86 to 88 depending on male or female. But if you live to 120, we're still paying that money, even if there's zero equity in the house. There's nothing that does this out there. Number two, if eight, if $800 a month is not enough, they say, Mike, I need $1,100 a month. Then we'll restructure it as a term payment or a term certain annuity like a term certain annuity as long as they live in the house we'll pay them that 1100 may pay them out uh 1100 to pay them out for uh you know 12 years and thir- and three months at the end of that point that's, time, that's the term that's the term portion
2: the but, term right. is, is how long you determine you can make that extra payment
3: right right uh, for them but a tenure payment is based on life expectancy and we pay it out and it's guys, it's like a life insurance policy or annuity. It's based on mortality cost, life expectancy. How long do we expect them to live? How much interest are they accumulating? How much, how much do we have to leave to cover that interest? So um,
1: Mike, if you, okay. So say we're in a situation, I just wanted to ask this side question here. Say you've made a decision to <clears throat> use the 10 year payment. So it's a, a, a smaller Dollar amount that you're getting per month, but now you need access to a lot more capital all at once. Can you change the terms of the reverse mortgage while it's already in effect, or do you need to do another reverse mortgage?
3: Now, uh, um, if you're going from line of credit to tenure to term, you can call it. You can change it back and forth as many times as you want to. You can be taking 800 a month, and you say, "I don't need 800 a month," and so just stop it and let the line of credit grow. Cause it's a pool of money. You got to understand <clears throat> when we calculate this money, the pool of money it's, we're actually paying out more than the pool is worth because you got to remember as long as it's in the pool, it's earning five and a half percent or whatever that number may be. So we only may, we only may take out uh, and we have a pool of 55,000 and pay out almost 68,000 because it's earning money while you're not using it. So anytime you stop, you can start making payments You can stop making payments. You can take a lump sum out of your line of credit. You can go back and recalculate the tenure payment. You can go back and recalculate the term payment. Until you take it all, you can change it between the term, the line of credit, and the tenure anytime you want for a $20 service fee.
1: And then another question on that. How is the line of credit earning and continuing to grow on what basis is it continuing to grow while you're not using it? Uh,
3: this is one that the IRS and, and HUD and them are trying to figure out. They made a statement years ago stating that the equity in your home is grandfathered to grow at a half a percent higher than the actual value that you're paying on the loan. Is It's it's just something they came up with years ago. And I get that all the time. And they get people say, that's too good to be true. And I go, it sounds too good to be true, but it is the fact. You're earning more than – so even if your house is worth $300 and you, your your equity is growing at uh, 5.5%, if your house is now worth 600 10, 15 years down the road, you've got that line of credit growth and you've got the appreciation. Hmm. So – it's, it's a unique feature, even if, down, if there's a downturn in the market and the house goes from 300,000 down to 200,000, and when they pass away, they now owe 250, but the, they owe 250, but the house is only worth 200. The only thing that we can recoup, or FHA can recoup, is the equity that the, the value that the house at the time the loan is due. So if it's they owe two fifty and it's worth two hundred, FHA is on the hook for the two fifty for the fifty thousand dollars difference. The bank is getting their money back—the two fifty that's owed to them. FHA, the FHA upfront premium that on all FHA loans is there to take care of things like that. The unique thing about it is if you owe fifty thousand dollars short on a traditional mortgage, traditional FHA, and it doesn't have a non recourse feature. If if you owe Two fifty. If you owe two fifty and they let you short sell it for two hundred because that's the value, they'll let you do that. But next year, that fifty thousand dollars that they gave you as a short sell, the IRS comes back and taxes that on your income as taxable income. But with a reverse mortgage, there is no such recourse. I mean, if if the clients have a million dollars worth of life insurance that they're passing to their children, and they don't want the house, it's upside down by fifty thousand. They just do a deed in lieu and walk away from it. And nobody is ever responsible for paying a loan back except the value of the house at the time it's due. And, and once again, I don't know if you caught this.
2: Um, this isn't magic. Mike uses that. I use that word all the time, Mike. Um, it's actual actuarial science. And they mm-hmm. charge the, they charge a fee, the FHA for this. So that that part of that fee that's charged on all these loans, it goes to cover Situations like what Mike just um, mm-hmm. explained. So it's not like the FHA is is going to. Well, they might run out of money because of of poor handling, but then they'll just go to the government because it's government backed, and then the government will just tax us to recoup all that. So by the taxing power. But the but the point of the matter is is that they they have conting, contingency built into fees. Now, let's talk about, I know the fees are different, but let's talk about fees in general because that comes up all the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, you don't want to do, and and I'm going to get on a little bit of soapbox about this, you know, because people say, oh, you don't want to do this because it has high fees. And I always say that everything has fees, no matter what, what you have, even if you buy a can of Coke or Sprite, it has a fee, which is the price. But if you get what you want, why does the fee matter? because if you want it if you want it, you have to pay something for it, whether it's seventy five cents for a coke or ten thousand dollar fee for a reverse mortgage. So let's just talk about the fee structure in general.
3: okay now uniquely uh this uh, the first quarter of the year uh well actually beginning of the second quarter in March, uh, the um, loan value on reverse mortgages. Every time FHA does a step up, uh, they it, most of it's based on county or state how much FHA limits are. Reverse mortgages are nationwide. They just increase the loan value, not the loan value, but the value of the property. The maximum value of the property is nine hundred and seventy thousand eight hundred dollars nationwide for reverse mortgages. Plus, the jumbos or the proprietary products go from there over $4, over four million. So, the, the, the value of the homes keep increasing, and uh, the equity is, is, is just used for that, that type of situation. Uh, what else do you want to know, Bruce? I'm sorry.
2: Just the fees in general.
3: What fees are some general, of the okay. fees?
2: And, the, and then also approximately how much they would be and you know, so on and so forth.
3: It, it runs roughly six to six and a half, maybe 7% of the total total value of the property because the fees are based off not the loan amount. The FHA insurance premium is not based off the $300,000 loan amount. It's based off of 2% of the appraised value because you got to remember these things are compounding. The interest is compounding on it. So we got to make sure there's enough there. So when you go to closing, we get, we, we to take it. The, the deed, the amount that's charged is 150% of the value of the house. But there's 2% up front. There is the standard closing cost on any traditional loan in your local area. The taxes, the transfer fees, all those things. And there is, we can charge, FHA allows us, and we're capped by FHA, the maximum we can charge on any loan is $6,000. It's 2% of the first $200,000. 1% of the remaining balance up to a maximum of six thousand. So I did one for a lady and she was saying, Oh Mike, it's the fees are just way too high. Well, this is a lady, and you run into all kinds, guys. You run into people who need it. And you got people just got a house paid for. It, and they just want to use it. She had a she has she still has a uh, citation jet and a Lamborghini, but she wanted six hundred thousand dollars out of her house because it was hers. <laughs> and she took oh, it with the, she yeah. bought a condo in Florida and now she lives half the time in Florida and half the time in Virginia Beach. So, but the fees are there, but it's in comparison to what? Yeah, the 2% upfront fee, let's say $600,000 house, 2% is 12000 Okay, that's getting you the, the non-recourse feature though. So, mm-hmm. would you rather pay 12000 or have to have the house be upside down by hundred thousand because your parents lived a long lifetime and now the kids are saddled with that hundred thousand. So it's it's what the cost is. So it's the two percent upfront FHA fee, our, our our origination fee, and the standard closing cost. Now people say six thousand dollars. That's a lot for you. We're only getting paid one time, guys. So <laughs> we we've got to we've got to take care of all this and and make sure that we're you know we have to be, everybody has to be profitable. We help a lot of people. And we'll we'll do uh, I have financial planners that send me a loan and all we're doing is collect we're getting paid on thirty thousand. It's not making a lot, but with that financial planner, you have to be with financial planners, they are technically my clients because I'm structuring the program to meet the needs of their clients. So if they need to pay off an eighty thousand mortgage, they need twenty thousand to eliminate debt. And they, they need a line of credit. If that's what they want, that's how I'm going to structure it because that's the best need for the client. Back in the old that's days, right. they, they took the whole amount. There was a lot of fees and people run through a lot of money and they didn't have money that, that when they needed it in the future. But we work more and more with with the affluent and the, uh, the elder law attorneys, estate planners and things of that nature. And working with trust now, we work a lot with trust When they were they were a big taboo back in the past, you couldn't do well with the trust. But those are the basic basic costs of the loan.
2: Yeah, there's um. So um, once again, I'm not a CPA. I'm not suggesting this as a tax. This is a disclosure. Talk to your a tax accountant. But a, a, a situation that a more affluent family might do is they want to obtain something an asset. It might be a Lamborghini as you talked about, or it may or maybe a, a private plane that fly back and forth. And they and they have a brokerage account where they have a lot of capital gains in it. And so they don't want to sell the capital gains or or the stock because of the capital gains, which cost them a twenty percent minimum and then probably three point two Medicare surcharge. So almost almost twenty five percent. And uh, so what they could do then is do the uh, home equity conversion and actually then access the equity tax free to actually purchase this. So even if the fee is, what you say, five or six percent of the loan, they're saving almost twenty five percent in taxes. Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. So tell me if it's worth it. it, it's, it we, we, we went over sequence of returns. In the past, a sequence of returns right now is a big thing because the market is up and down. And if, if, you're, if you're a financial planner and you've told a client that they have a pool of money and they can take $8,000 a year out of it and because of the return they were getting in good years, what happens when there, there's a negative return on your money? Mm-hmm. If you keep taking money out of that pool, in, taxable income out of that pool in a negative environment, Those clients are selling off assets and they'll never be able to buy it back at that same price. The pool will never get back to where it needs to be for them to retire. And financial planners are depleting their assets under management, which is where their income comes from. So the assets under management, it's called, we all talked about Dr. Wade Fowle, Mm -hmm. uh, who talks about uh, uh, a buffer asset. That's what you were talking about. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's another source of funds. And right now, it's hard to get 5.5% on your returns. So you got another source of funds, 5.5% return, and it's income tax money, it's income tax growth, and any time you take it out, it's income tax free. So in a down market, instead of selling off stock to make up a $40,000 short sale, with these affluent clients, you just take $40,000 out of the line of credit and take nothing out of, out of your out of your portfolio. If you do that four times over a 25-year period, People say, "Well, I just take a reverse mortgage as a loaner last resort." Well, if you do that as a last resort, that your reverse mortgage funds run out in about four and a half, five years. It's, it's statistically been shown that out of the uh, Monte Carlo scenarios, that if you take the money out in those four years of a bear market and just t- and take the rest of it out, not counting the money you have left over in the equity, your li- your your account will grow more than it would if you didn't have a reverse mortgage. It's just assets.
2: Yeah, I, I just proved that last night to a client. The other thing that people, the other people that don't realize is that, let's say you have a $2,000 mortgage, that's $24,000 a year. How much, how hard do your assets have to work to pay for that mortgage? Mm-hmm. So uh, typically, and, and we don't go by this, but uh, historically, people would say you were going to get a 4% return on your, on your assets. So 4% uh, on 600000 is actually 24000 that you need it. Well, actually, we have to pay the taxes on it, depending on where it is. But right. let's just pretend, that, let's pretend we, we don't know where the asset is. So we can't determine what the t- taxes are. But you'd have to have a minimum of $600,000 that, that your assets would have to be generate $24,000 a year to pay for your mortgage. So if you didn't have to pay for your mortgage, that extra $600,000 could be used to actually just allow it to grow, which potentially it could grow more than your your home anyway as an asset. So all these have to be, you actually have to sit down with a a competent professional, both as a uh, home equity conversion mortgage professional and your financial professional to actually weave in all these different strategies. So I think we I think we've kind of cleared that Rachel there are a couple of other questions from the last podcast I think we ought to touch upon and Yeah Mike, there I, are I Yeah
1: the you can go ahead, Bruce.
2: the renting the home so I I saw somebody said well you get a reverse mortgage and then you can actually then go purchase something else or go rent yourself somewhere else and then you could use the uh the, the home as a rental property, I think I know the answer to this, Mike, but you can use their home as a rental property and then it has no mortgage on it. And so you actually accelerate your gains, but I don't think they're going to allow that.
3: That's called mortgage fraud. Yeah,
1: yeah.
3: And that's, that's set up in the guidelines. he says you have to meet the guidelines of the reverse mortgage. The guidelines of the reverse mortgage, you have to pay property taxes, homeowners insurance, keep the house in livable condition. It has to be your primary residence or or your spouse's primary residence. Now you can have a, an individual, one spouse can be in assisted living while another one's living at home. Mm. Now, here's a key thing about that, Bruce. If you got a wife living at home and you happen to go into rehab or assisted living, that reverse mortgage still rolls forward. It doesn't go away. And there you have income tax-free money that you're not taking away from your portfolio for whatever needs that other spouse has. So, uh yeah, it's it's um it, it is too now, good to be true in a lot of features, but it's, it's not, just the way it's set up.
2: Right. Now, let's clear this other one. This was a bug one. They said, because this person was right out adamant, this is not true, that the non-borrowing spouse has the same right as the older spouse. Or the and, borrowing and, spouse. And, or, 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 yeah, that would happen to be older, so on and so forth. Does, does both spouses have to actually be on the mortgage? No. You both the, spouses have to be on the
3: deed. Technically, no, we can put okay. there's a deferral period after the borrowing spouse passes. If they were married at the time that the loan went into effect, when they pass away, they've got 90 days to defer to be put on the deed. You can put them on the deed once the loan's done. It's not going to affect the loan amount because you're younger. We're already talking to them. We're already taking in consideration that to, that is their spouse. It's called a non-barring spouse. There's a non-barring qualified and a non-barring non-qualified. Non-qualified, you don't have to count their age if they're in an assisted living facility and they're never going to be in the house. If they're qualified living in the house, then we have to count their age. Now, the two differences that Bruce is. Number one, if there's an if there's an older husband and a younger wife, then and, and they're both on title. The younger wife does not have the same benefit as the borrower. Here's the difference. The borrower has the right to the monthly tenure payment or the term payment or the line of credit. The non-borrowing one does not. But to what the non-borrowing one is guaranteed, that at the time the borrower passes away, she will be put on the deed, she she will have full access to the house, to live there for the rest of her life with no mortgage payments. But any monthly payments coming in may go away. Well, unless it's an accident, Bruce, a heart attack, and they get killed in a car wreck. <laughs> if if I'm, a, if I'm a spouse and I've got a $400,000 line of credit or $300,000 line of credit, and I've got, I know I'm terminally ill, there's no way I'm not going to take that $400,000 that's mine transferred into my checking account, which my wife has access to it, now that funds are hers. And since she's married, you have to go back to the step-up basis, get with your account and get with your attorney on what portion that would be taxable to her, but very little of it's gonna be taxable in my opinion. And I'm not an attorney nor a tax advisor because it's his assets being shared with his spouse. So if you know it's coming, take the money out, put it in there, when he passes away, she's got all the funds, and she still gets to live in the house with no with no mortgage payments. We talk about mortgage payment, no principal or interest payments. <clears throat> CFPB will not allow us to use a statement mortgage payment because they consider taxes and insurance and HOA fees as a mortgage payment. What mm. is interesting? It's not, it's not no principal or
1: interest payments. Okay.
3: Or so then- of course, of
2: course, you use the
3: line of credit to pay for your taxes and. Insurance, if you had it, I know, I know people that take out the monthly at the end of each year. They may have a line of credit at the end of each year. They take the amount of now their line of credit. They take it out to pay their taxes and insurance. Pay it one time lump sum. We can actually set up a, a side account, or we call a Lisa a life expectancy set aside. That will set up a pool of money. Again, just like a retirement pool, we don't have to put as much, but we'll pay their taxes and insurance to their life expectancy. So if their life expectancy is 88, we'll, we'll, they had no principal or interest payments, no taxes or insurance because those have been paid from that pool until 88. They turn 89 or beyond their life expectancy. Taxes and insurance has to be paid again.
1: Mm.
3: And Mike, my, and my, that pool of money is making 5.5%, isn't it? <laughs> I just, to be, I
2: just want to be Compounding annually, yeah. income yeah.
3: tax-free. It's available to you with a phone call or your power of attorney's phone call, it will be directly deposited in your checking account within five to seven business days, income tax-free.
1: Well, this definitely is a lot of information for somebody to explore, especially if they're in a situation where they realize that there is a lot of equity in a house that could be being used and you're in those senior years of over 62 if this is the typical fha or you said over 55 with 5,
3: the private term, much, yes.
1: in some states and you said that's not available in all states correct no, no not not
3: in all states no
1: so a lot of information a lot of potential options mike if somebody is interested in finding out more information can you tell them how to get a hold of you where they can find you what re- resources and information you might have available to them and how they can ask you questions if they would like to pursue this more directly with you. Well,
3: as I always do, my number is my personal cell number, 757-646-4147. Again, that's 757-646-4147. I answer it 24 hours a day. My wife doesn't believe it but I do, but... <laughs> I can't switch 24 hours a day, even if I think it's a spam call, because I get calls from all over the United States. Uh, Mike.Stanley at thrivemortgage.com. But the best way to text me or email, uh, text me or call me on my cell. That's the best way to communicate.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing all of this today. And I think we could chat much longer. Um, Bruce, is there any other questions? I mean, I, I know that we could have talked more fully about what the options are for a non-borrowing spouse um we could talk also about the um purchase mortgage reverse purchase mortgage i think is how you reverse purchase Um,
2: to actually purchase a a home with a with a home equity conversion mortgage i'm trying to i'm trying to change my verbiage it's
3: okay We we've actually yeah. rebranded. We've actually rebranded our our name here at, at Thrive is we're called Wisdom Senior Lending Division, uh, and not we're trying to say it's not a reverse mortgage. But I just want to get two paragraphs in it before somebody says, "Oh, it's a reverse mortgage," and they shut down. As a, as a little side joke, I, as I told you before, I've traveled all up down the East Coast doing seminars for large. Um, uh, mortgage companies and uh, talking to the largest Merrill Lynch office in, in North Carolina. I've talked to the largest Keller Williams agencies in North and South Carolina all from Maine to Florida. And the thing about it is I always kind of start off my little, my little seminar and it's, it's a little corny and I'm going to show you what it is. I say, if you've heard anything negative about a reverse mortgage, now raise their hand. I said, raise your right hand, stick out your right thumb, put in your right ear and flush what you know for about 30 minutes. And we'll go from there. So the thing about it is, if you, if you, if people would, st- actually, I wrote an article for Hurrah, the national, I mean, Hampton Roads Real Estate Association. I did an article on alternative financing for baby boomers. Uh, I teach the SRES senior real estate specialist. It's a designation that realtors have to get to work with seniors. So I teach the alternative course of that. And I can give you, several financial planners and elder law attorneys that I've worked with. So it's, it's not too good to be true. There's 10.6 trillion sitting in baby boomers' houses, um, and and it can be used for anything. You can buy whatever you want to with it. They, they ask you not to do a high-risk investment. Because back in the day, we had investors who were reverse mortgage specialists or we're doing reverses, and they'd say, okay, give me 60000 equity in your home, and I'll put it at this risk. This product's going to earn you 22%, and 19 months later, it's gone, and so is their equity. So it's, it's, it's as you know, Bruce, with the fiduciary side. Uh, yeah, now, have,
2: now best, best interest hopefully eliminates yeah. some of
3: that. Yeah, it does. It does, yeah. But, guys, if you, like I said, people have heard it that, uh, you know, that my great aunt in Arizona lost her house to a reverse mortgage. She either took it out prior to 1988 or she didn't pay her taxes. It had nothing to do with the reverse mortgage that we work with now, the heck of product we work with now. Yeah.
1: Well, this is really helpful. Thank you so much for being back with us again today. And I know that we're going to have more questions through the YouTube channel and through the podcast. So let me just make sure that if you're listening, you have options and the channels to be able to get a hold of us. So you can always put your comment in the, or your question in the comment section on YouTube, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, wherever you are watching this video. We're also going to be live on the podcast channels later on. And so if you are listening to the podcast, you can email us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com. You can always get answers to your questions. And if we don't have the answer, we will find the answer for you. So there is valuable resources, there are options, and this is a tool that can work in a variety of situations and can do a lot of good. And so it's just exploring what that may look like for you in your particular situation before you can move forward with confidence. So thank you for being with us today. We appreciate you on the, on the show with us, Mike, and um, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Thank you both. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. In closing, remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking put in your name and primary email address click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside
0: thank you for listening to the money advantage podcast today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com if you like this episode make sure you subscribe and leave a review if you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast We encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated, and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.